Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today is Kate, Kate Braystrup, and we're going to be talking with Kate about the death of a spouse. Kate Braystrup held her family together in the wake of her husband's death as she pursued his dream of becoming a minister. She ultimately found her calling as a chaplain to search and rescue workers. She is also the author of Here If You Need Me. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you. Hi, Kate. It's great to have you on. Uh, it's great to be here. Thank you. I love that area. You're up in Maine, right? Yeah, we're up in Maine. Yeah. That's fantastic. How, where are you in Maine? Well, I live in Midcoast, Maine, but I go statewide for my work, so there's uh-huh. not too much. Of I was going to ask you, you're still doing the same uh, oh, yeah. work, right? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. great. How many years have you been doing it? We're figuring I'm coming up on nine. Oh. Which seems, it seems long. It, it, I mean, it doesn't feel that long, but... Yeah, tell people what you're doing. Um, I am the chaplain to the Maine Warden Service. And in Maine, uh, the game wardens are responsible for uh, responding to a variety of sort of outdoor calamities. So snowmobile accidents, drowning, somebody goes through the ice, um, somebody gets lost in the woods. We have the teams that uh, respond to that and do the search and rescue operations or it could be suicide or murder, or you really, it um, could be anything, couldn't it? Yeah, in Maine, uh, as in any state that has a, I mean, actually in New York, not in Manhattan, um, <laughs> uh, most of our homicides and suicides also have a dimension, um, generally an outdoor dimension. People either go into the woods or they put the evidence in the woods or they leave the body in the woods or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, since wild land is the game warden's, um, not just jurisdiction but area of expertise they are called in to find evidence and to interpret evidence because they know what they're looking at mm-hmm. um, and state troopers may not so you know um, I was saying to Heidi today I was telling her what a wonderful author you are and this book uh, here if you need me is a really wonderful read and <laughs> it's got heart and it's funny and it's sad and and it's true and it, it has so much wisdom and it takes you everywhere. And one of the things that impressed me about the book, and also because you talk about the work you do, mm-hmm. um, also the thing that impressed me about it is I don't think that if you had not had your life experience as being a widow, I have a feeling that you would not be able to bring what you're bringing to this or maybe go to the depths that you do uh, with people no. in, in your writing and your work. No, I don't think I would either, although... Um you know uh that that always sort of brings up the question if you're a minister of whether God intended all of this, and I personally would be extremely annoyed with a God that would you know take my husband away from his children, if not from me, in order to have me do this work but um especially since God is resourceful, so if God really wanted me out in the woods, he would have found a way to get me out there one way or another, but mm-hmm. well, I like um, that idea. Having said that, uh, I do think that um, the experience of losing my first husband uh, in, an, in an accident um, really is something that 
I use I um, every day whenever I'm in a situation like that. It it just is extremely useful information. And one of the really useful dimensions of it is that I can say to a new widow or a newly bereaved person, there will come a time when you will be able to help someone else with what you know now. Mm-hmm. It's not right away, but there will come a time when you will be able to do it too. Well, I want to get back as we move along and, and a little later on in the show, I want to get back to this um, idea that that you know that we are able to use these experiences and it because it's a hard thing because it's like mm. oh um should I be grateful for this or what but I want to get right. back to that cuz I know our audience is wanting you to tell them a little bit about Drew and about his death okay. and about your family. Okay. Well, um Drew was a state trooper and he was um an interesting person and a very funny person and uh and a very spiritual person in many ways, much more so than I was. And he uh, was had been a state trooper for about 10 years, and he began to feel that he really uh, had a calling to, to go on after his police career was done and address the problem of suffering um, in, from a different angle. I mean, that's how I would put it now. I'm not sure at the time we articulated it that way, but... Um, I think that all the the suffering that he saw as a trooper um, stayed with him, and and he wanted to somehow um, bring his spiritual understanding to it at some point. So he had already looked into seminary, um, had found the seminary that is in Maine that he could go to, and uh, and of course because he was thinking of going to seminary, actually was planning to go to seminary. Uh, he and I had all kinds of conversations that we wouldn't have had otherwise about um, sort of the meaning of life and death and suffering and um, what we're doing here and why we're doing it. And um, that all of that, oddly enough, or ironically enough, turned out to be very useful uh, after when he died and after he died. Um, he was killed in 1996 in a car accident um, on duty, and it was a it was a really complete accident. It wasn't uh, um, no one was drunk or behaving badly or um, being cruel or any of the things that unfortunately so often attend law enforcement deaths. It was really a very pure accident. So, um, and that I think was. It always sounds odd to say things like that was lucky <laughs> in this context, but anyway. Um, the good part about that was that there was a whole, that meant there was a whole dimension of loss that we didn't have to deal with. Mm-hmm. We didn't have to deal with a trial or um, an investigation or a sentencing hearing or parole hearings down the line or any of that. It was all complete, all of it happened right there at the scene and was concluded and it was done. Well, well and I think we're all, we, we always kind of try to find the silver lining in the way somebody died. I know that sounds strange. Yeah. But I, I remember when my brother died, and it was it was traumatic because the car that he and my cousin were driving in uh. um, hydroplane and blew up. But oh. yeah, so, so how to make, you know, meet, like how to come to terms with that was, you know, well, at least they, they died suddenly. Right. They were in pain. Hurt. And, you know, to kind yeah. of try to, right. to like Probably I said, find the silver lining. Be afraid. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and actually... You know, having seen now quite a lot of death and a lot of um, in a lot of different ways, there are silver linings. 
I mean, that's not, that's, we're not being stupid. That's actually mm-hmm. um, a, a reasonable and intelligent way to look at something. That um, There are things about it that you can take some small comfort in, like mm-hmm. that, like it didn't hurt. That's big. I like I like the idea of taking small comfort where we can find it and feeling good about doing that and not not questioning it and right. you know and sometimes I think that we have these experiences you know maybe even we find dimes sometimes uh, a lot and and we always take that as some kind of a little as sign but if you ask somebody yeah. else they'd be skeptical yeah. but why not just accept it for what it is yes. and enjoy it right exactly and and I often will say to people too because this is a tricky thing after the loss of a spouse particularly is that um, there will come a point when the chances are pretty good if you're um, that you will remarry and that you will begin that by having relationships that could go in that direction and um, to and of course when you remarry or when you go on to do anything I mean when I went to seminary uh, you know one of the things I had to accept was that I was doing this thing that I loved. I mean, it was not a self-sacrificing martyrdom. I This was great. I loved seminary. And I did feel a distinct call to myself to do this. Um, so it, I, I wasn't going to end up doing Drew's ministry. I was going to do mine. And, and I only do mine. And, and it's kind of strange that. because someone yeah. said to you, I'm reading in the book, someone said, yeah. You said, well, I wouldn't be here if my husband hadn't uh, died right. or something. And she said, well, the Lord works in wondrous ways or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I thought, well, you know, that doesn't, you know, I'm a Unitarian Universalist. We're not that high on God's list, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> he needed to make more of us. Um, the uh, No, I mean, and that's it, is that I think that the gratitude and the experience of gratitude for what you you do get to have, the joy and the pleasure and the love and the the fact of being alive at all should be taken with both hands. You have to do the suffering anyway. Um, this is the blessing. Right. And, you know, if you deny yourself that, then all you get is the suffering. And I think, um, I mean, I had to talk about this quite a lot with my children because, um, you know, it did come up, the question of, you know, I, I don't know if I even want to live anymore if Dad's not here. Mm-hmm. And I would say to them, you know, it's not just what Dad would have wanted for you. It's what you want for yourself, that you should go on and live. The best thing you could do for your father is to go on and live the most wonderful, full, loving, you know, creative, exciting life you can because that's what he doesn't get to do. That's right. I have four kids. Yep. Yeah. And they were nine, seven, Six and three. Wow, that is big. I've got to tell you. I mean, I have two children that are around those ages, and I mean to have. I, I mean to have, be a single parent with four young children all of a sudden, and not a particularly good parent to begin. With. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I needed help. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. Oh, I mean, God. I've been working yeah. with 9/11 widows since 9/11. And, you know, they were relatively young widows, and they said one of the biggest, the hardest things is now we're the go-to parent. Not only are we dealing with our own grief, but we still have to parent. Right, exactly. And that, I mean, there's there's an upside to that. Um, I remember the widow of a trooper who had been killed the year before Drew did, uh, Drew was in Maine, um, said, you know, I don't know how you do it with four kids. I mean, there were days that I didn't want to get out of bed, and I... 
you know, my answer was, I mean, the good side of that was they made me get out of bed. I mean... Right, you didn't um, have the luxury of staying in bed. Right, right. And that, you know, and that wasn't a bad thing. I mean, I don't know, I've never tried it the other way and I don't want to. So, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I hope I never get the chance. But I, the, I mean, there was, the good things about it, about having children, for me, I mean, there were certainly plenty of bad things. And it was, it's a lot of work, even with two parents. Um, and it's a lot of energy, and I didn't always have it, and I didn't always do a good job. And fortunately, other people helped. So, um, you know, that's essentially why we're all still walking around reasonably sane today. <laughs> but, um, uh, but the good side of it was that it did force me to keep functioning. It did force me to keep thinking forward. Um, and it did force me to have to explain in terms that they could understand um, what had happened, what this was, and to kind of continuously do it because, of course, grief, it's not as if it's a one-shot thing. You keep coming back around to the loss um, forever. I mean, the you know, we've now had four high school graduations that their dad wasn't at. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have wedding. Well, we've had one wedding that their dad wasn't at, and mm-hmm. that's um, that is permanently part of their story and part of their right. life. Right, and my mother is always saying on the show, and you you are, you just said it, and that is, you know, it's understandable if you can't be everything to your children when you're grieving, right. but get people in their lives you. that can help you out. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like that's part of what you did, which I love. Oh, it, and actually, I mean, it's huge, and it's not. And not only that, it's it's good for your children mm-hmm. um, on two levels. One is they get better care. Uh, <laughs> to right. put it mildly, they get better care because even a really, really good parent is just not your your head isn't there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember doing things like buying the same Christmas present for the same person two or three times without realizing that I'd done it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just you're not there. So, um, and to just and I felt. You know, your assumption is that you're there and you're not. So to have lots of help is great. But the other part is you're modeling for them, you know, when something bad happens to you, yes, you are affected by it. And the choice is, there's no choice about that. You will be affected by it. The only choice you have is, do I do this alone? Now, you weren't you weren't working at the time that he died? I worked, but not, uh, I didn't have a job, yeah. I mean, I was I was doing some writing uh-huh. Basically, the writing was to so that I could tell myself that I was a writer who happened to have four children instead of a, a housewife who had a hobby. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. You know, yeah. the only reason I'm saying that is because yeah. one of the things that uh, that I think will be interesting to the the women out there mm-hmm. is that you did you did go into another profession. I mean, you did yeah. pick it up and decide to do something else yeah. or, you know. So uh, so that's, that's a big thing, particularly for people who, you know, have really had their whole life revolving around their spouse mm-hmm. and, and their family, and then all of a sudden that whole piece is gone. And plus, how about the financial? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, fortunately, and this is, this is an, a really big thing, um, fortunately, uh, we had life insurance, mm-hmm. and because Drew died in the line of duty, he was eligible for you know all the various benefits that um, the family members of fallen officers get, and and that is huge. If I had died, um, I think Drew would have gotten about four thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Yeah, and that's a whole and other issue even, for me. I mean, that's not enough yeah. to bury me. Yeah, you know what and, I mean. 
Yeah, then he would have had to figure out how to take care of the kids. You know. Yeah, he would have basically been a guy with an irregular schedule and a dangerous job and four children and no spouse. Right. And he would have been so just. He would have been done. I don't know what he. I mean, I feel guilty about it, which is well, stupid. you know, after <laughs> after I started working with the nine eleven widows, and they had a similar yeah. situation where they got yeah. a lot of money because nine yeah. eleven families did. So thankfully for them. Right. They, and finances, finances weren't yeah. a concern, but I remember right. being, going into these homes for years and years and yeah. all of a sudden one day going, I need to get life insurance. I don't I know. know that. Yes, exactly. Um, for exactly right. what, I mean, God forbid yeah. anything ever happened. I don't expect it to, but I need to be proactive right. in this. And I did end up getting life insurance for yeah. myself just in the event that anything yeah, ever exactly. happened. Yeah, exactly. Because it, you know, it makes, it, it is, you know, the difference between, um, I'm a basket case, and I have some time to get my act together. And I'm a basket case, and I'm broke. Right. I mean, right. And, and I can't afford you know. to stop working, even if my kids need me, and even right. if I need to be home with them. I That's don't right. have that option. That's right. And and um, you know, you're not now. People have done it, but I wouldn't want anybody to have to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to um, just read an email from Oot. Uh, who sent us an email, and Oot said that uh, her husband died suddenly in 2009, May 1st. Oh. So it's been close. They were married for 31 years. He was 55. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And uh, he sa- she said um, that I-, I don't listen to my body, and after, I- let's see, what did she say? I started, wor- oh, I know. Uh, she said she lost her husband in 2009. They were married for 31 years. He was only 55, and she said two weeks after he died, I started working so hard around the house, I literally moved mountains until I crashed and burned. I did not listen to my body, and after I recovered, I did it again, and I crashed and burned the second time. Uh, I have learned not to leave the house without my sunglasses as I burst into tears for no reason, Mm -hmm. uh, no good reason. I wonder if you could identify with all that. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's a, um, it's a, it is a, a kind of passion. I, you know that's a weird way to describe it, but it's a um, it is a consuming emotional state that you and you can't turn it off, you can't make it not happen, and you want it not to happen. I mean, one of the things you want it to stop. So, um, al- just allowing it to be is something that I think you probably get better at. I I mean I hate to say that too, but there is such a thing as a an experienced mourner. Mm-hmm. So when my father died the year after Drew died, it wasn't that I loved my father any less or missed him less or any of that stuff. It was just I could look at it and go, oh, okay, I know what this is. I know mm-hmm. what we have to do, you know. Um, I was thinking it was kind of like mountain climbing, you know. If you've, yeah. been, to, if you've been to Everest, you at least know right. how at least it feels. You, yeah, or labor, actually, having a baby. I mean, yeah. the second and third and fourth, as it turns out, um, labors, you know, it's not so much that they get easier in themselves is that you don't, you know, you know what it is, so it doesn't freak you out as much. Um, but, yes, I can identify with all of that. I mean, I used to say, you know, I'd go to the supermarket and I could get all the way through to frozen foods, and I always lost it in frozen foods. <laughs> you know, if I went the other way, I would get as far as cleaning products. <laughs> I'd lose it in cleaning products. And, I, uh, you know, I mean, if you live in a small community, everybody in the store knows. So, mm-hmm. you know, they are, I remember standing in line in a flood of tears, the cashier kind of handing me Kleenex, 
you know, ripping it out of the box and handing it to me in the, um, and telling me, I remember seeing your husband in here with the children and how cute they were. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, sort of telling me stories. That's, that's, <laughs> that's right. What a great gift to give you to tell you oh, stories about It was them. fantastic. I love that because a lot of people wouldn't do that. I know. Well, it's I, part of it is just, it, you know, it's a small enough and kind of stable enough community that people have kind of done it. Yeah, because even when we're crying and mourning, we want to hear stories about oh, the yeah. person that we loved when they were living. Oh, yeah. Well, and awesome. then the other time the sort of similar thing happened, I was at the dentist, and it was the dentist had some new forms they wanted us to fill out, wanted all the patients to fill out. So I was having a perfectly good day as these things went, and I'm filling out the form, and I got to the part where it said marital status, and you had to check it off, and the choices were married, single, or divorced. And there was no category for me. Mm. And and it was mm. ridiculous. Everybody in, they already knew, right? I mean, we had already been going to this dentist. They knew about Drew's, the whole thing. Didn't matter. I fell completely apart. So Well, you were kind of disenfranchised there. Yeah, and it just, it was like this shocking thing. And, and plus, so you were I, very young to be, quote, quote a widow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people, Heidi and I have talked about this with other people, they don't, they don't even like being called widows. The widows are old people. Yeah. Well, well, I didn't like being called a single mother. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like somebody said, oh, yeah, we have this, you know, group of single mothers, and I was like, I'm not a single mother. Mm-hmm. I'm a married mother. My husband just happens to be dead. Right, and my kids have but a problem. I'm not single. <laughs> That's an interesting point. Well, it also says, I just wanted to finish up her email. She also yeah. says that... Um, she thinks she expects to. She said the last week's been more down than up again, and I expect too much from myself. So I went back to the internet to read about grief again, as if it would help. Nothing helps except uh, to read about other widows who are experiencing the same yeah. pain. Right. Which is another way of saying, you know, not doing it alone. Yeah, not not doing it alone. And one of the things that it also tells us is that she doesn't have um, children. She'd never had any children, and I think this is very interesting. Her last comment. So she said, I, I will never feel this bad again. I know I'll never feel this bad again. And, you know, I think that's interesting because it's, it's like we said, you find the silver linings to everything and, and take them for that. This is as bad as it gets. Yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. other yeah. people might say, oh, too bad you didn't have any children. But I think you're finding right. that peace there. Yes. Right. At least I don't, at least I don't have anybody that yet that the loss, although, you know, I mean, which is true. She will never have to do this again. Exactly. Um, and that, that is absolutely true, and she's right. Well, uh, thank you for your email, and, and good luck on your journey. And yeah. uh, please keep thank listening you. and writing in to us, and, uh, and we hope that we'll be able to give you some help and healing. Our guests will be able to do that. Kate, uh, you're, you're with the um, – now, who, who is it exactly you're working for? The, the main warden service. Yeah, the main warden the main warden. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, my father was United States Marshal of Utah and was, no chief, kidding. Yeah, like and was chief of police of my small town in Utah. There you go. We're and when, when I was a little kid, I probably was five, uh, a man uh, shot himself and chose to do it in his car in front of our house. Oh, yeah. You know, and... Uh, I never knew this, Mom. Uh, yeah. uh, wow. And so I was early on very involved with this whole... Yeah. With this whole thing, the body was out there, you know, I looked out the window at the car, and they came and, you know, the scene and all that. Law enforcement kids get 
Yeah, so it, it's very interesting. But I will tell you something. As I was reading your book about the wardens, it reminded me a lot of my dad. My dad, there's a compassion and a depth to the people who do that work. It's mm-hmm. kind of amazing. It is amazing. A calm, there's a calmness. Yeah. My dad was very calm with these people. Mm-hmm. Very sweet, very understand. Didn't over-identify. It wasn't his story. Right, But right. he would be with them in an yeah. amazing way. Yeah, good for him. Yeah, he he was really wonderful with the people he worked with. But um, what I wanted to ask you about, in those kind of experiences, for my dad and people, um, do the wardens and some of the people that you um, are involved with replay those stories of what they've seen? And if so, what in their heads? If so, what do you suggest to people if they're rewinding experiences? Well, um, there's, I mean, there's sort of two dimensions to that. One is as a witness or a you know, a person who comes to a scene as a helper, and the other is the person who actually experiences whatever the traumatic incident is. Um, and the um, and those are two things. I know that as a widow, um, I certainly, um, there were elements of Drew's death and the day that he died and the way I was told and all of that that um, were replayed in my head. Um, and Were I you told in a good way? Because I know that's one of the things you teach uh, medical students and whoever is. Is it medical yes, students? Yes, is yeah. death notification. Yeah, I, well, I teach game wardens death notific- notification, um, and I have now started teaching it to, being asked to teach it to doctors, not just students, um, you know, like the American College of Surgeons meeting asked me to come and do death notification training or speaking about it with them um, because it's something that, I assumed that they knew how to do this. Um, you know, that of course doctors know how to do this, right? They do it all the time. Well, apparently they don't feel they do. So the nurses, I think, are probably yeah. online as much. Yeah. Um, well, and so essentially what I, I use my story um, to talk to it, to talk about it. Um, and well, tell us how you do that. What do you say for? I say, well, um, the uh the you know the day that drew died i was um there is a police protocol for how death notification is handled but it requires that the widow is in her house and i was out of position so i was taking my kids uh, three of the kids up um to pick up the fourth kid at a a friend's house who the family was also a trooper trooper's family um and i was at the gas station and i heard on the radio while i was writing the check that uh there had been an accident on the South Warren Bridge, and a state police cruiser was involved. Mm-hmm. So it, it didn't really say anything out else. And so I looked at the clerk, and she looked at me, and she said, well, you know, if you go around to the fire station, they will know. So I drove around the corner to the fire station, and all the truck bays were empty because everybody was at the accident except for one lone dispatcher who looked at me and turned green. I mean, it, he was so horrified. and. Mm-hmm. So and he didn't know what to do with me because he didn't want to tell me. Um, mm-hmm. So he locked me in the firehouse kitchen, and such was my, you know, this amazing mental state you go into at such moments. Nothing about this struck me as odd, right? <laughs> he mm-hmm. basically says, "Why don't you wait in here and I'll look after the kids." Da, 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 da. And he locks me in, until and then he goes out and is frantically trying to find somebody with the authority to come and do the notification. Um, finally, I guess he got hold of the chief of the Thomaston police, uh, Jim Hosford, and um, when Jim walked in, that is where 
I actually don't remember what I said. I don't remember what I did. For all I know, I hit him. I mean, I don't know. I know mm-hmm. that I made a lot of noise. Um, I know that I went down. My knees gave way, and I went down to the floor, which is normal. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. And actually a good thing. Uh, so when I tell cops, I say going down to the floor is actually a great idea. You can't fall off the floor. Right. Mm-hmm. So don't feel like you have to get anybody into a chair or anything. The floor is fine. Um, anyway, um, I don't actually remember a whole lot of this, but what I, what was important about it was, for the, from the cops' point of view was that I was later able to talk to Jim Hosford again. Usually when police give notification, they never get to see those people again. So they don't, they may not know this. They feel their experience is they were a horrible part of the worst moment of your whole life. And what I was able to tell Jim was, actually, you were the best moment of mm-hmm. that. In You were the best thing about that, you know, 20 seconds of my life. Of the worst 20 seconds of my life, you were the best thing. And I remember mm-hmm. his face being this shining, like I remember it kind of being surrounded by light. Um, I don't remember what he said, but I remember seeing him and as kind of this beacon of mm-hmm. um, the love and the care that was going to be there for me. Well, so that's what we were talking about before, the little yeah. pieces that happened mm-hmm. that are hopeful. That are very vivid, yeah, and some of them are good. I think when we replay, there's what I tell the guys, um, the wardens, when I'm teaching them, is I say, people know how to grieve. How do I know that? Because there has never been a human generation with no death, right. ever. So this is not something that we don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. We all know how to do it. It's in us. Because anybody who didn't, who literally was going to be killed by grief would be gone, and their genes wouldn't be in the system anymore. So we all know how to do this. So when you watch someone or when you yourself are grieving, um, have some trust in that. They know what they're doing. If they're on the floor rolling around crying, that's exactly what they should be doing. Um, and that's fine. If um, So it, going along with that, replaying the story, telling the story, is actually a healthy thing. It's what happens when you um, they have it. It's official if you're Jewish. You sit shiva, right? You sit right. Mm-hmm. seven days and everybody eats and talks. And, and what they're doing is they're telling the story. And a psychologist friend explained to me that it's almost like desensitization, that you are taking a chaotic and a um, scary experience, and by talking about it, you're turning it into something that you're accustomed to, that's part of your, you know, that you can manage and have control over and power over. Uh, the way, if you're afraid of snakes, they show you first a rubber snake and then a whatever. Um, we kind of do that automatically for ourselves by telling the story and telling the story. So so rather than, not, rather than avoiding it yeah, and not yeah. thinking about it, maybe bringing right. it out and telling it. It's, Especially if it's in a context where you're just allowed to tell it as a story. And where with someone who you start to cry, that's fine. I've never known anyone who started crying and never stopped. They all, yeah, we we stopped. also have a friend. I'll give you this piece. David Daniels, yeah. who's a psychiatrist at uh, Stanford, who says he never knew of anybody who died of dehydration from crying. Exactly. <laughs> People stop. You don't have to stop them. They will stop. And not only that, what's interesting is when they stop, the next place you often go is to a place where you... You know, they'll say something like, you know, um, oh, my favorite one was this woman who we had brought her. She wanted to see the body of her husband after he had drowned, right after he drowned. So he had just come out of the water. Um, they had just taken him out of the water, and he was, and this happens very often. I always, 
try to give them the opportunity to see the body as soon as possible because they want to. So we're standing there on the edge of the riverbank, and the wardens are kind of standing there quietly. And she was doing, you know, her thing and um, touching him and crying. And, you know, of course, terror. I mean, this was a huge loss, very grief-stricken. And I was kneeling next to her because that's all you have to do is just sit there. And at some point I said, um, he looks so beautiful, which was a funny thing to say, but he did. He looked so beautiful. And she said, yeah, he always was cute. But I never liked that shirt on him. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so great because he knew she was being funny. Right. You know what I mean? She was it was a um I mean it was it it was not a it was love. Right. She was able to say that because it was love, you know. And that's the next place she could go was because she knew him and knew him so well and loved him so much that she could go to a good place. Right, and also they had their humor together and their laugh yeah. together. I know it was so. It would be a natural so expressive. thing. Yeah, humor yeah, is such a great thing. Well, you were talking about people um, who see the body now. Some of the things that uh, that I've run into and had uh, people talk to me about, uh, which they've been very angry about, are people who are talked out of seeing the body, yeah, exactly. or where one family member sees it and they didn't get to. What about that? Yeah. How well, and, deal and with it after it happened. Nine Eleven widows who never got a chance at all. There right. was nobody. Um, yeah, absolutely. No, in fact, um, in my experience, and, and the only reason I had this, ex- even as good an experience of it as I did, was because Drew had given me this book, um, which I refer to in my own book, um, that was about, well, it was called From Death to Dust, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About a Body, you know, What Happens to the Body After You Die. So... He had given it to me for my birthday because he knew I would be fascinated by this. Uh-huh. It's very romantic. If you think <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I read this book. So we'd had all these conversations. Do you want to be embalmed? Do you want this? Do you want that? And one of the things that was brought up was how um, it is actually a human need, again, because this is always how it was done. This is built into us, to see the body take care of the body. Um, if it's someone you love, you want to take care of him, and that's the only way you can take care of him is by mm-hmm. taking care of his body. So um, I said right away, when it was my turn, I want to see his body, and I couldn't. Um, not because it wasn't available, but because I think the state police were afraid, not knowing differently, that if, well, two things. One was if I, that it would make it worse. It would make my grief worse to see his body. Um, that actually wasn't true. They were also afraid that if the widow showed up at the accident scene, all of the guys who all knew Drew and loved Drew and were identifying with this would completely lose it. And they had to process the accident scene. So I have a lot of sympathy for the second motive um, because that actually could have been true. It might have been harder. Okay. but So I didn't get to see his body until later when it had already been autopsied and came back to the funeral home um, and then, because I insisted, I got to go and I got to dress him and prepare him. Right, give us your website, Kate. It's just katebraestrup.com. B-R-A-E-S-T-R-U-P. That's it. Uh, I would suggest you get here if you need me. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful book, true story. And you get in, Kate's such a wonderful storyteller. They're just, um, such interesting stories and good perspective. And you got a little scripture in there and you got talking about families and, uh, it, it's really rich and it's fun. And there's some good laughs in there too, Kate. I must yes. say that. Yeah, thank you. 
Well, and it's actually one of the things I like best about it is that um, I am a minister, so of course it has that aspect to it, but I've heard from the widest possible spectrum of religious backgrounds, from complete atheists to, you know, Catholic priests and who liked it, who loved it. So, And that is important to me because I'm a chaplain. I've gotten in the warden service particularly, um, I've gotten very proactive, as they say, about these things, um, much more so than any other department in Maine and probably far more so than in most places because because that was my experience. I want to go see him now, and I couldn't. And I understood then, and I understand now, that the resistance from the state police was really about trying to protect me. I mean, the conventional wisdom is this is going to be terrible, this is, you know, this will make it worse, it will hurt more. Um, at the time, I didn't even have the experience to be able to argue that. I didn't know. Maybe it does make it worse, you know. Um, as it turned out, it didn't. Uh, when I did finally see him and touch him and handle his body and all that, it didn't make it worse. And the police who went with me for that um, actually learned a lot about that, and um, we had a wonderful time. I mean, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Uh, so we try to give that to as many of the people that we're dealing with as we can. And so I will actually bring it up um, as soon as, well, I'll even bring it up uh, during a search if it's starting to look like the outcome of the search is going to be bad. I will bring it up fairly early. Um, In anticipation, that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, when, if, if, we, if your son is dead, when would you like to see his body? Mm-hmm. Um, and they will say, I want to see it right away. Okay. So do you have family members that resist having someone see the body? Because I see sometimes men who don't want their wives to see it or whatever. Right. Yep. Um, and we sometimes have to advocate for them. Uh, we had a, a mom once who she wanted to see her husband's body, but she didn't want her sons to have to see it. <laughs> and it was great, actually, because one of the game wardens um, piped right up, you know, said, you know, I lost my dad um, and it's important for them too. They need to be able to do this. So, right. so I would say, Kate, in, in my mind, it, and this is how I've done it, rationalized it, or thought about it for myself, is you know, it is what it is, and um, you have to um, realize that you did the best you could at the time. Oh, yeah. I think we're usually aggravated ourselves because we didn't, we didn't, we didn't push it. Yeah, we didn't push it. But how yeah. much energy have you got? And what did you know? I like what well, you. Well, you don't know. You don't know. So, is there right. right? So right, forgive exactly. yourself and and say, right. you know, I did the best I could, and. I have, you know, you have to accept what is. Well, and this is actually, I mean, for your listeners, your listeners need to know, I bring it up. The family members don't bring it up. I bring it up because I know how it feels to be, you know, there you are, your husband is, let's say, drowned. He's at the bottom of a lake, and there are all these experts in uniform who are in charge of this, who own this. And it's Part of my job is to convey to them, actually, no, you own this. This is your experience. This is your story. And we are here, actually, to help you. So, But most of us don't think to actually say and that. And you don't have that advocate. I fortunately had a colleague that I worked with whose brother was yeah. killed in World War II, and, oh. she, and Cynthia Hart was the yeah. one who uh, went with me. And and, and I, I remember yeah. saying to her at one time, do you think I really ought to see this body? And she said, absolutely, yeah. and went in with me. Yeah. And so for you people out there, it, it's not easy. 
You know? No, it isn't. It, it isn't. really isn't. And and unfortunately, I hate to say this, I understand the motivations of the the police because they're most of them are um, they are trained to think of themselves as the ones who can deal with awful things that everybody else can't deal with. I mean, that's normal, right? They want to protect you. I get that part. Um, what makes me more, what irritates me more is when I have funeral directors at the scene saying, it's not a good idea for them to see the body now. Let us take it to the funeral home. Let us clean it up. And I will say they want to see it now, and they'll argue with me in my professional opinion, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then at the funeral home, they get to charge. Oh, oh wow, wow. wow. Oh, so that's a whole free. different aspect. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So, I, anyway, having said that, um, because that's a, <laughs> that may be a distraction at this point, uh, for... No, I think I think motives of people, you know, and and you do yeah. have to realize those motives and and forgive if it's over. Yeah, or and find peace with it. Most of the people that I know, most of the people I have come across, with very few exceptions, um, that their the grief, the passion of grief that I was talking about, becomes creative. There comes a point when it is a creative force, and. Um, uh, I just heard from a law enforcement widow whose husband was killed, not in the line of duty, but he was uh, on a bicycle. Mm-hmm. And um, the she took that and turned it into a way of advocating for um, bicycle safety and, um, you know, basically thinking about traffic patterns in terms of um, sharing the road with bicycles and paying right. attention to, you know. Um, that's normal. People do that. I mean... Sometimes people, and I have to remind people of that because they'll think I was unusual somehow in taking Drew's death and turning it into something um, that was positive. That's actually normal. I mean, look at the two of you. You're doing it. Right, and and we also, one of our guests talked about it, Helper's High, and that you do get a lot of energy when you're going into this. Yeah. Well, it's time for us to close our show now. It's been so great talking with you. Oh, do you have it's one, been great uh, talking to you. Do you want to have one piece of advice you want to leave uh, for the folks? Well, just, um, just be easy on yourself, and when people offer to help, take it. Take as much help as, more help than you think you need. All right. Well, thanks so much again for being on the show, Kate. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.